Hello, and we're live. And uh, my name is Phil Croshaw, and this is the Journey podcast. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Alexis Kingsbury. And Alexis is going to be talking to talking to us today about all things entrepreneurship. And as like most of my shows, we'll go on a journey of various different rabbit holes. I've no idea where we'll end up. Uh, but Alexis is a, a great guy. He's a great guy to listen to. He knows his stuff. So what we'll do is we'll just play the uh, the intro and the, the countdown just to give people time to uh, to come in because uh, obviously it'll just be coming up on millions of people's phones and websites all over the world. Okay, we, then we woke up. Fair enough. Uh, and uh, and then and then obviously yeah, people can uh, people can go in. As I say at the bottom there, if you want to ask a question, then please do or comment or just say hello. Uh, then that's absolutely fine. Okay, so uh, let's get started. Okay, so a very warm welcome to the show, the Journey Radio. Oh, I say, I just nearly said the Journey Radio Experience then, and that's because I also have a radio show called the Journey Radio Experience, and you should have called it something different. So the Journey Podcast Live, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Alexis Kingsbury, who is going to talk to us today about everything entrepreneurship. So let's start off then, Alexis, with you telling us who you are, what you do and what you're about. Sure. Thank you very much, Phil. And it's fantastic to be here. So I'm Alexis Kingsbury. I'm a serial entrepreneur, I suppose, in that I've had multiple businesses over the uh, over 15 years of doing various businesses of, of different forms. I've also been a management consultant working with large organizations, including those such as Honda and BP and AstraZeneca, helping them with their people and processes. I've since built my own management consultancy practice and also uh, now two software businesses, uh, one being Spider Gap, which is a 360 degree feedback tool, and the other being Air Manual, which is used for documenting processes and onboarding as interactive checklists. And over the years, uh, built a now globally distributed team, uh, working with uh, over 500, 600 customers around the world. And uh, yeah, I uh, have a wife and two kids and really passionate about work-life balance, both for myself and for my team. And not only that, but you also live in Stamford, which is a place as, a, as when I met you, I told you I know pretty well because I lived in Peterborough for a few years and a wonderful place and wonderful part of the world. It is indeed, yeah. I think it keeps on coming number one in like Sunday Times best places to live in the UK, uh, which mainly tells me either that it's a great place to live or that someone at the Sunday Times is trying to sell a property that they own in Stanford <laughs> and try to drive prices up. Well, if everybody's not jealous and envious enough already with what you've just said, just to add insult to injury, you don't even look old enough to have done all those things either. 
<laughs> That's very kind. <laughs> don't know. I think the, the gray the greys around the side don't don't show as well on camera, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, sorry, grey hair. I don't know anything about, and probably never will. That's the truth yeah, of it. So, so, sorry, Phil. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all right. I've, listen, I've been called a lot worse. Um, right, okay then, Alex. Alexis, that's brilliant. Um, I'm trying to think where to start. Really. I'll tell you where I'm going to start because uh, you know I go off on the hoof on these things. As I told you. Um, do you get bored easy? Oh, I, I suppose yes, but I never feel it that I, I suppose I never get to the point of getting bored. I think um, I probably do get bored easy. And so, yeah, I, I, I quite quickly end up filling the time. I, I suppose to put it a different, a different way around. I, I, I'm never short of something to do, um, whether it's in my businesses or, or spending time with family or friends or whatever. I, I'm never short of something. It reminds me of about when I lived down in London, I remember that uh, uh, great Dr. Johnson quote, which is when a, um, when a man is tired of London, he is tired of life. And I kind of feel that about wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, it's, uh, there's always something you can be doing, something new, some pe uh, people you can help or uh, get involved in some new activity or exercise or, uh, or business venture or whatever. So yeah, perhaps, perhaps I do. <laughs> yeah. I just wondered, cause I, I can relate to that myself uh, a lot, a lot. And uh, over the years, I know I've left a fair bit of money on the table because I love variety and that's just the, the way I'm wired. Yeah. It's a, it's a dangerous. Self-awareness is a massive thing. Which... Yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's like, it's, it's a tricky balance, right? Because on the one hand, I think as an entrepreneur, often, you have that uh, that passion for doing lots of different things. And that's a really useful trait for an entrepreneur because it means that you're constantly um, kind of sensing and looking out for, for various things that you can do. But you have to be really careful of the chasing the shiny. You know, it's the, the distraction when you've just about worked out how to make the business work. The temptation is then to go, oh, but then I've got this other product idea. And rather than ever really getting the business going, and because it, it takes time, it takes momentum, the risk is that you then jump onto the new thing. On the flip side, if you can do the great job of getting the that business set up so it works really well, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but like I've done that with uh, one of my software businesses, SpiderGap. We've got that to a point now where it's got a great team, great leadership team, uh, really well-established processes and ways of doing things, which means that it is able to work operationally without myself or my co-founder in the, in the business because we've got all of that in place. And that's enabled us to then create a, a new business and, and software product in the form of Air Manual. And so... It's it's that tricky balance, right? You don't want if you if you never went for new things, then you're almost not an entrepreneur. <laughs> but then if you're always doing it, then you'll never be a successful entrepreneur. <laughs> so it's uh, it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah, yeah. I think you've nailed it there. I think that's exactly that's exactly the situation. Um, so uh, tell us about um, those two products. Then tell us about uh, Spider Gap first of all. I guess how it came about, what the drivers were behind the idea. Uh, how you came up with it, how you're inspired by it, and what it actually does for a business. Sure. So I'd, I'd say at its core, or indeed at, at our core, as myself and my co-founder, Paddy, it, we're really passionate about continuous improvement and personal development. You know, we're big readers and listeners of podcasts and uh, and um, uh, attenders of events and so on to always look for, for great ideas and, and looking for continuing to improve our, ourselves and address our own weaknesses. 
And so SpiderGap was a really good fit for us uh, because SpiderGap is a 360 degree feedback tool, which means uh, it allows an organization to collect feedback from a variety of people, typically a person's manager, their peers, their direct reports, and their own self-view to help that person to understand where are their strengths that they should be playing to and utilizing and where are their areas to improve that they should be working on and uh, addressing. And through that tool, in fact, uh, when we started off, we when we started off as consultants, we knew we wanted to create a software business, had no idea what it would be, but thought, let's let's get started and we'll work it out. Tried lots of different ideas and bought domain names and then went, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> Got rid of those and so on. Went through lots of iteration until we ended up with SpiderGap, which actually started off as a wider product. It started off as a, a sort of more gap analysis, data, where are you now, where do you need to be, whether it was a product, service, a business, a person, whatever. And we pivoted, I think it's about 2000, end of 2012 was when we pivoted, when we identified that we had a particular segment of our clients that were super happy and felt like they were paying too little. And yet that we felt like they're some of the highest pay, paying clients. And then we had another group where they were paying us uh, probably something like a third to a quarter of what these others were. And they kind of felt like mm, it's quite expensive. And we realized that actually there's a whole group of clients that appreciate this better. And so we focused on that and went down the 360 route. And um, yeah, that, that then worked really well. And, and we grew it over the subsequent years, had lots of bumps along the road, uh, but, uh, but ultimately grew, uh, grew a really fantastic team that's been able to achieve uh, fantastic things. But actually, one of the things which feels ironic for someone who's got a background in process consulting was that I did a bad job when we were bringing people in early on of um, giving people the processes, the tools, the collateral and so on to, to be able to achieve their goals. And I think it's because I, I wanted to empower them. I wanted to just respect their experience. And so as a result, I, you know, I'd hired salespeople and didn't give them a sales process or anything and assumed, well, you know, You've done a million pounds worth of sales last year. Come do the same thing for me. And then found that they, they couldn't make the sales. And so over time, I, through multiple, multiple failures and mistakes and so on, I've managed to learn actually the better way of employing people and setting them up for success is to, yes, hire great people, fantastic talent with the skills and, and so on, but actually set them up for success. And that means providing them with excellent onboarding, really detailed and structured onboarding with all the guidance that they need and providing them with uh, the processes so that they can follow what makes a good, for example, sales call and, uh, and how they do their handover and so on. And when we started doing those two things together, doing a really good job of recruitment, you know, for a for a, a sales role, we might be higher. Uh, we might get uh, 200, 500 applicants for a developer role. We might look for a 2,000, filtering them down to get awesome people. But on the other side, making sure that there's fantastic onboarding and processes so that they've got everything. When you bring that together, magic happens. And and so that's enabled us to to grow. And we've now got team members in Venezuela, US, Canada, Sweden, Spain, uh, Kenya, India. Uh, UK, like all sorts of different places. And yet we're able to work remotely and do all of that and work really effectively and feel connected because of those ways of working and meeting rhythm and so on. And I think uh, that was what really inspired us to then create Air Manual, which is a tool for those processes and onboarding, because we found that, uh, and I found this as a consultant as well, like 
for creating those processes is most organizations would agree is a really important thing, but they often find it challenging. And even when you do create it, it often just sits on a shelf or a folder structure and, and just kind of goes out of date and stale. People don't use it. People don't refer to it. It's hard to find. Uh, it's hard to follow. And so we could wanted to create a tool that would just address all of that. And that's what we've created in Air Manual. And, uh, and that's been really exciting because I get to solve that problem for so many businesses now rather than just our own. Yeah, I just oh, I just think that's amazing, actually. And um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I I always kind of think that generally speaking, people start businesses usually for one one reason, or initially one mm -hmm. reason, and that's they have a technical skill that yeah. they want to sell. Basically, yeah. you know, I I know how to do accountancy, so I'll want to sell mm -hmm. it. I, yeah. I know how to paint, so I want to I want to paint. Um, and I suppose as well, those that start to go on the entrepreneurial journey because they're excited and passionate and dynamic yeah. process, oh, process. And yet the reality is, is it fair to say that? I know you would say this, but I, I tend to agree with you that without that process, you'll always struggle to scale. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it, and it's funny because we uh, we talked to a variety of business, uh, business owners, business leaders and so on. And of course, it have differing opinions on on processes in general. Some love it. They love a good checklist. And, and as a result, like Air Manual is just this uh, dream of theirs of how oh, I can organize everything. And for, for others, it's like, no, I like to be creative and I feel like processes will, will stop that. And actually, what we've found is that for the... Um, uh, for those people that say, oh, no, I, you know, I, I don't want to uh, reduce creativity, actually having those processes in place does the opposite. Because, of course, by providing processes and the guidance for the basics, like, for example, um, how to uh, uh, how to have a sales call, for example, you want the salesperson to be able to use their skills their expertise, the ability to dry, uh, um, ask questions and uh, close the sale at the right time and so on. But if you don't give them anything in terms of process, it's hard for them to work that into the right place. And as a result, the, the whole sales conversation can feel messy from the, from the point of view of the, of the customer. Whereas, uh, and also there's a risk that they miss things. And so the customer comes away going, huh, I did, we didn't cover pricing or support, whatever. Whereas when you give that basic structure, it allows the, uh, it allows the salesperson to kind of use their skills around it. They can, they can follow the structure that gives them the narrative, but then they can dive in when appropriate. And it gives that, it's, it's odd that actually it can give that freedom. It gives that flexibility. It's a bit like for um, design, you know, we obviously as a software business, there's lots of opportunities for doing design of uh, user experience flows or uh, how a web page needs to look. And in theory, you might go, oh, a design, you know, you need complete creativity, create blank page. But actually blank pages create procrastination and getting stuck because it's just there's too little to start with. And so you kind of don't know where to go. Whereas having a design process, including defining what's the aim here, what's the pains I'm trying to solve, then going through an inspiration process where you're looking at competitors and, uh, and similar products or completely different products to get ideas, get all of that captured so that then you can go through an exercise of thinking, OK, so how might we solve this problem? And you know, providing those different cues, which means that design, this often scary thing for a lot of people, becomes this thing, uh, structure that you can follow. And that gives rise to the creativity of being able to pull on those things. And, and you can focus your mental energy on 
yeah where you want to be creative rather than having to think through what are, you know what are the steps i need to do so it's a really funny thing where i think sometimes people think that processes are the opposite of creativity but actually they can enable it because when you're when you're just a busy fool when do you get opportunity to be creative <laughs> I would I would argue that probably ninety nine percent of us that have been business owners or entrepreneurs have been busy fools many times. <laughs> I think. Yeah, right. I, think I, I don't I, think myself so. included. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's part of the game, isn't it? It's part of the journey, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's, yeah. it's almost like it's. Um, I think it partly it's. Uh, I've kind of noticed that it's a bit of a cycle, um, uh, and it's hard because some of it is desirable. So. Uh, you could almost argue if I was to summarize what being a business owner is 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 about and what your job is, it's essentially um, identify what's the the key problem or priority. So, like for example, uh, oh, we don't have any leads, therefore we can't have any sales or we won't have any revenue. The business won't exist, right? So you go right. We need some leads. Now, you as the business leader need to go and invent something or find a way that works that hasn't been done before. Because if it was already done in, and I mean in your business, not ever, <laughs> crucial difference. Um, because if it was already done in your business, you'd have the answer, you'd already have the leads. So you need to go out, you need to, in the case of marketing, maybe you're going to try events or webinars or do some PR or try some Google ads or whatever it is. And it might be that you bring in experts to support that. But essentially, you're just experimenting, you're testing what works. The key is that at some point as the business owner, you have to move from just trying lots of different things to identifying what works and then set it up so it can be repeated and then set it up so it can be repeated not by you and still get those great results. And so you have to make that shift because if you never make that shift and you just keep on experimenting, then there'll be things that worked like, so let's say networking and you do a load of networking, it gets you some sales and then you go, oh, but now I think I'm going to try events. And if you don't carry on doing that thing, then you don't carry on getting the customers and so on. So you need to set up that process and, and set that up and then be able to delegate it to someone and provide them with the clear guidance of these are the steps because you've worked out what works, either, again, through experts or, or just yourself. Pass that over, free up your time, and then start again. Okay, what's my new problem? I've now got leads coming through. Are they being converted? Oh, no, the conversion rate's a little bit low. So now I'm going to dive in and work out how to solve my sales problem. And then rinse and repeat and go all the way through the business. And often it'll be marketing, sales, handover to delivery, do the delivery, and then sort of, you know, then the finance and making sure you're getting paid, and then going, oh, and actually there's a product idea here, and just repeating that loop. And I think the problem is that it's so easy as business owners, because those things aren't instant. It's not like Monday you do one and Tuesday you do another. Sometimes you'll spend weeks or even months on one one particular thing. It's easy to end up with your head so stuck in that problem that it's hard to then extract yourself again. And yet that's the cycle that you've got to repeat. Um, it's like um, a coach of mine uh, often says in his sessions, like some people say they've been in business 10 years, but the reality is they've been in business one year that they've repeated 10 times. And that's the the key as a, as a business owner is you've got to keep, if you're not growing, if you're not getting better, if things aren't improving and that you're going through that cycle, then ultimately you'll either stagnate or, or decline at some point because because you're not making that advancement. And so that's the I think the the, the reason why it's all tricky as a, as a as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, is because there are parts of that cycle that you do have to do. But at some point you need to step out. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And of course, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it, as, as they yeah. say, the cliches, uh, the cliche says. Um, I've got a question here, actually, from James. And James says that he's, this is slightly on what you just said there. Uh, he says that, nine, I've, he's read recently that nine out of 10 business, small businesses fail 
do you have a view as to why they do fail? Cool. Well, uh, hi, James. And great question. I think that uh, a lot of that failure comes in the very early days of the uh, of the business. And so the the first ways in which businesses fail tends to be that they haven't found a real valuable problem to solve. So like you said earlier, Phil, where some people go into business going, well, I'm going to apply a, a technical skill or something that I have. You're actually safer there, right? If you're an accountant and you create an accountancy business, you can be pretty confident that the problem of needing an accountant is something that a lot of business owners share. There is a real problem to solve there. And so the challenge for that business owner is just making sure that they can find that audience, which when you're in the early days, it's networking, it's friends and family, it's referrals and go speak to people and that you can convey that you can add value. And so it's about explaining that, demonstrating that uh, and then that you actually deliver on, on that promise and so on. And that's actually relatively easy to do uh, for uh, sort of well-established sort of industry types like you know, painting and, and, and things like that. Um, uh, Painting, not as an artist, that's incredibly difficult, but painting, say, <laughs> interior decorating, um, those sorts of things, there's, there's, there's a clear need for, and they have a different set of challenges which we can come on to. But, but a lot of entrepreneurs and businesses that struggle are where they come with the brilliant idea. And often that brilliant idea is what caused the causes the failure because you think it's so brilliant and as a result, you're willing, you're unwilling to kind of pivot and, and change. And a good example is one I shared with Spider Gap. Like in the early days, <laughs> we probably spent a year, maybe 18 months, absolute pushing water uphill, you know, really struggling because we had this vision of, oh, we're going to help people with all these kinds of gaps in their businesses and their personal lives and their services and products that we're going to help understand and close these gaps. And as consultants, that was working really well. We were providing consulting services to clients and using the tool to support that. But people just weren't buying into the, the tool. And so if we hadn't been open to the fact that that was the wrong answer, I think we that business never would have succeeded. We literally had conversations with customers going, we don't think this is working. Like, what is it that you find valuable? If we took it away tomorrow, how much would you care? And and by understanding the answers and by delving in, we were able to identify that actually there was a segment of our audience that really valued it. And so we pivoted and completely changed the whole product and business around that audience. And I've repeated that multiple times with my businesses. Uh, with Air Manual, one of the things that we identified early on was that um, we'd show people this tool and they'd say, oh, this is amazing. Like I can create my processes in here and create my onboarding and it's so easy and I can get all of this captured. Fantastic. Set me up a workspace. And we go, brilliant. And we do that. And two weeks later, they have done nothing, right? We go in there, there's zero documents. And yet this was solving their top problem. Their top problem was that <laughs> they were stuck in the business yeah. and they were spending three hours a day just doing price quotes and they need to get that documented and handed over to someone else. And we'd, I'd come back to them and say, like, what's, you know, Jeff, what's going on? <laughs> and, it, and it's, oh, I've just not found the time. And of course, it's ridiculous because we're looking at it saying, you know, the time that you will save is huge compared to the time that you need to invest. And we've now got the data on it. We know that typically people get 4x of the time. Like you put one hour in and you save uh, four hours within a couple of weeks. And, and of course, that, you know, just expands uh, over time. And yet people weren't doing it. And so we had to pivot our thinking from being just a software provider to actually providing a bit of consulting. 
which is of great irony because the whole reason we set up software businesses was so that we weren't building a consulting business. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have to be open to, to being wrong and, and actually looking to be wrong and, and looking to identify what's the real problem to solve here and what are people willing to pay money for? And I think failing to do that is probably what causes eight out of those nine to fail because they just say, no, 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 I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm solving a problem that I've got. And and as a result, they never really challenge whether it's a big enough problem that people are really willing to part with money to solve. Um, you know, and we see loads of them on like Dragon's Den and Shark Tank and so on, where <laughs> it's just they're solving something that isn't a big enough problem to begin with. So I think that's the that's probably the key for most of it. But I'll happily talk about other <laughs> other common causes. Yeah, you've probably got. Um, I mean, it, it, what strikes me is that uh, there's so many things that can challenge you and things that can change. But I think more now than ever is the pace of change mm. is what I think is remarkable. Markets that were there a year ago can no longer be there a year later you know, just because of the changing needs and changing expectations that people have got. Is that something you would relate to or can you not, would you acknowledge that's the case? Yes and no. <laughs> so I'd, mm. I'd, I'd certainly agree that the rate of change is huge. And so the access to, to technology and so on and uh, new ways of doing things and knowledge and information is phenomenal. You know, rolling back the clock, even... You know, back, back when we started uh, Spider Gap sort of seven, eight years ago, there are so many products now and tools that we would take for granted that back then just weren't a big thing, you know, including thing, you know, mm. things like the platforms that we're using now for this recording and, mm. and tools that we've all become super familiar with during coronavirus, like Zoom and so on, back then weren't even in existence. And those were some of the challenges that we were having to overcome with a, with a remote team, which seems bonkers really in, in in relatively such a short period of time so i'd say there is huge change there in terms of what's available and uh, and particularly the knowledge and information you get access to even even information like the stuff we're talking about about what causes business failure and, and so on yeah. those things around how to do uh, what now we might think of as lean startup and even that is uh, relatively old uh, <laughs> uh, you know stuff uh, from yeah. say uh, nine years ago yeah. but even that is in in relative you know in relatively recent period of time mm. however the bit i'd say that changes slower than we might anticipate is a lot of the human and business needs a lot of those are are the same and endure when you get to the core of it so for example for spider gap the extent to which 360 degree feedback and a tool for collecting feedback in that particular way and serving it in a PDF report and so on, that can change, although slower than one might expect. But the fundamental need for developing your employees that's at the heart of that, that doesn't change significantly over, over a long period of time. And I think that's one of the benefits of focusing, you know, you alluded to it earlier, like focusing on the passion and the why on the pain focusing on the 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 problem that you're trying to solve and the outcome you're trying to get for the customer rather than the product idea that you've got you know rather than focusing on this new design that you've got for a i don't know a, a football uh, or soccer uh, boot rather than oh because i've got these fins 
focus on the particular pain that you're trying to solve, whether it's comfort or whether it's uh, speed of ball travel or direction or whatever, like, because that will endure, you know, in soccer, for example, they will always want more control, more speed, more, you know, all of those things. And if you focus on that rather than the particular device that you've created, then you'll, you'll always have an opportunity in your business to add more value and serve people and so on. So I think that's what I'd say. I think that you're right about the pace of change. But I think the if you when you get to the pain, when you get to the outcome, often that doesn't change that quickly. Yeah, the, the fundamentals, I guess. Mm. But even that, it's interesting, isn't it? Because even that with um, the way that it's, I perceive it anyway is that um, the power seems to have shifted at the moment to into the employers and the, sorry, into the employees' lap. You know, there's a lot more, a lot less jobs than there are. There's a lot more jobs than there are people. And therefore, I, I know from friends of mine who've had uh, put applications out, you know, for people to apply for for jobs and um, the demands that they're putting on the employer. I, I, of course, I'll come and work for you, but I'm not taking nine pounds an hour. Call, call it 17 and we'll have, we'll have a chance. <laughs> and I just wondered what you thought about that in terms of that um you know, that power and how it shifts over time, depending on the employment the employment situation. The other thing that comes up a lot as well, Alexis, is, um, you know, people are now a lot more interested in the values of the company. Mm. So young people in particular, obviously, uh, you know, what's your what's your views about sustainability? You know, what's your green credentials? Because I don't want to work for anybody whose whose biggest client is BP or whatever other example is that something you've come across is that something you have a view on yeah definitely so it's, it's really interesting because i i think there's a there's a macro level of this and then there's kind of the micro as it relates to business, uh, individual businesses and at the mm. macro level when we look at the whole industry in the globe and, and as you say you know a situation where you've got more uh, more job adverts out there than there are job seekers and all these sorts of things mm. um at a macro level that will ebb and flow like it's it's likely uh, we you know it's likely we're already in a in a recession uh, in a recession or going to a recession at the point of recording, and uh, frankly that happens and and ebbs and flows at various points. What we don't know is exactly when it happens, for how long, for how deep, and you know how quick you come out and all these sorts of things. But that cycle is a natural cycle that just always happens, and so it's likely that that shift will go back the other way at some point. It'll be there will be a time yeah. when actually businesses are having to rein in their spending. They're reducing their vacancies and all this kind of stuff. And as a result, it reverses and uh, and, and so on. And so, uh, suddenly employees are willing to to accept le less to, to get an employee. However, that's at the macro level. And I, I'm a big believer that at the, at the micro level, when you look at your own business, you don't want to be relying on that model. You don't want to be saying, well, I'll just wait until there's loads of people looking for jobs and then I don't need to, to offer those things. Because often the that's when uh, other businesses and probably you as well are having to cut back on, on stuff. So that's not when you're trying to hire. When you're trying to hire is when there's a, a lot of demand and, and the market's buoyant. And so really you need to think competitively rather than at macro. So rather than thinking, oh, yeah, it's really annoying because people are asking £17 an hour and people are interested in values and people are looking at environmental things, you have to look at it and go, how do I be competitive? How do I make sure that I'm going to get the best talent from the other businesses uh, out there because it's so competitive? And so this is something we're really, we've been really uh, focused on and got really good at is making sure that 
we are super transparent with people, that we uh, provide really good visibility of our core values, of our purpose, of our vision, of what it's like to work with us. And so that people can make a really good decision about about joining us. And it means that, you know, one of the things we're transparent about it is that we go 50th percentile for pay. We're not a big payer. Uh, we don't shortchange people. We like to be fair. But we, we're, in fact, we're quite um, mechanical in the way in which we set our pay. And it allows us to be really transparent. It also helps with equality, by the way, because uh, of uh, when you don't do that, when you have other processes like negotiation, that tends to favor certain demographics. So that's mm. something that we're passionate about addressing. So having a more um, mechanical approach means that you know we, uh, we address some of that. But by doing it that way, we have to make sure that we're offering other things. We have to make sure that we're a, an attractive employer. And as I mentioned, when we go for developers, we're looking for 1,000, 2,000 applicants. When we're looking for salespeople, we're looking for 200, 300, 500 uh, applicants. Even for finance administrator roles, we're looking 50 plus. Whereas so many businesses out there are struggling to get three or four. And so you have to think about who's your ideal candidate, especially marketing. Who's the ideal uh, lead, the ideal candidate um, where do they hang out and what is it that you're going to offer them that means that, uh, that, that you're going to be the most attractive employer? And it might be that your, um, your strengths mean, like for us, we're, remote, we're a remote team, which means that we attract people who are looking for that flexibility. We're big on work-life balance, so we're good for people who actually um, like working, tend to be a bit workaholic, maybe have even experienced or risked burnout before and therefore they're coming to a place where they're going to be looked after to make sure that doesn't happen we're clear on our core values around things like number four always look to improve so we're hiring at people that are always reading books listening to podcasts expanding themselves and are surrounded by a group of people that believe that too and are passionate about that so if you join our companies you're going to be surrounded by people that don't think it's weird that you're reading a self-help book or that you're learning Spanish uh, or, or whatever, like because <laughs> because that's part of it. And I think um, and and as part of like our work-life balance, we provide 40 days holiday and we make sure that people take it. And so all of those things stack up to create a proposition that the right type of person for our organization is definitely going to apply it's such a good fit and then we make sure our recruitment process shares and is transparent and really builds that connection which means that we've had applicants that have been offered uh one and a half two times uh we've even had existing employees that have been offered three times their pay to be poached somewhere and have chosen not to go because of what it's like to work there so as a result if you're a business that's kind of going oh it's so frustrating to get to good talent everyone wants to be paid double or whatever look inward and look at what is it that makes you competitive? Why should people want to work for you? Um, I remember talking to an entrepreneur who said, you know, it's hard because it's such a rubbish job. And it's like, well, why are you making it a rubbish job? <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to hire anyone into a rubbish job because what am I doing for their life? Like I'm building the businesses to improve my life. I don't want to do that on the, on the backs of other people. And so as a result, I'd be looking at how do I make that a great job? What, you know, you, you, frankly, even if it's like, coal mining and you go oh yes it's hot it's bad conditions and so on it's like well so what is it about that job that you're going to make excellent is it you know the hours and it means that you have got this flexibility is it is it the camaraderie and the, and the team spirit is it investment into the outcome you know what what is it that means that you're going to to make this a great experience that means that people don't just you know aren't just doing it for the money um because otherwise if you if you take that approach yeah, then you will struggle to find talent. And the only way that to get good talent will be to pay for it. 
Do you know, there's so, there's so much logic and common sense involved in doing it, doing a survey and getting the feedback from the, from the staff. It's no brainer on paper. Mm-hmm. Why do you think relatively or quite a lot of companies don't do it? Is, is there an element of fear about what they'll find out? Um, I think that uh, for, for a lot, I think, I think potentially, I think that for some, certainly we, we do see that they fear transparency, you know, for the same, for the same reasons they fear sharing um, perhaps key financial numbers in the business, revenue, profit, those sorts of things. They worry yeah. that what will people think, what will they do with that information? And yeah. of course the answer is, well, you, you, can't, you shouldn't share it in isolation. <laughs> Like if you, you know, if you're a business and you think, oh, but if I tell people what our revenue is, they'll all want pay rises. And it's like, well, provide the context. Why wouldn't you give them pay rises? And often the answer might be, well, it's because, yes, it looks impressive that we're a 10 million pound revenue business, but actually we work on razor thin margins. It's like, well, give that context, help them understand. Or, or maybe you are a business that's got seven figure profit and you might worry, okay, what does that mean for them? But again, it's like, so why isn't it appropriate that you give good pay rate, you know, that you pay people more and so on? And often the answer yeah. will be because we're reinvesting that back into the business. We're trying to grow yeah. and do more things for more people or yeah. or because there's substantial risk. And so it's important that we're putting cash aside and, and giving people that transparency and so on makes the difference. And the same goes for employee feedback. Mm-hmm. If you if you're sharing feedback with an employee on their performance, you you should be. It's not just about saying you're not very good at communication skills <laughs> like that on its own is not that helpful to them. But providing an understanding of what that looks like and examples and and helping them see how it would benefit the organization if they're better at it, then it makes it a lot easier to then be transparent and share that and, and get value from it. So I think that I think for some businesses, they are they are afraid of of what people might think or do with that information. And so, yeah, you shouldn't just blurt it out and share it in the same way as you wouldn't go up to a friend and say, you know, oh, I think your wife's ugly. Like, um, it's because you'll you'll get a bad reaction. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it needs tact and it and it needs thought and and you need to ultimately you need to think about the outcome you're looking for. Like it's not you you're not just trying to give feedback to go, there you go, I've given you the feedback. What more do you want? You've got to think about what's the what's the outcome that you want. How do you want to help that individual, you know, for their own career and for the business? And then when you work backwards from that, it allows you to be more clear about it. Um, I'm not sure quite with the analogy of telling a friend that their partner's ugly. You probably have to start more with the what's the outcome that I want? And the answer is not a fist in the face. Therefore, maybe don't say <laughs> that one. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, all of a sudden we yeah. completely digress into a completely <laughs> yeah. different area. <laughs> yeah, my, my analogies can get pretty weird pretty quickly, so yeah. uh, I'll, I'll leave I, that on there. <laughs> absolutely. I'm going to change tack slightly now because um, one of the things that, as you know, one of my mantras and a lot of what we're doing these days with Geeky is um, podcast training and uh, live stream training and all that stuff. Um, now, I've noticed, obviously, when, when we were got introduced to each other by uh, our friend and associate Mandy, Mandy Allen. Thanks, Mandy, if you're watching. Thanks very much Thank for you, that. Um, and um, one of the things I noticed straight away as I started to, to check you out, as it were, sounds a bit iffy, that, doesn't it? When I, when I started to check you out was, of course, you are, you're a very active podcaster and, um, and communicator via video and such like yourself. So is that something that you realized a long time ago 
that it was really important if you were to get your message out and actually to stand out from the crowd and actually have a more dynamic way of being seen and heard. What was the point when you realised that that was an important way of communicating and or were you just a, a show off always and you couldn't wait to do it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, as much as it might come across as the latter, uh, Phil, and I, I hugely appreciate that. It's getting me back for the hair comment earlier. Um, uh, uh, that's that's uh, not the case. And in fact, it's been something that I've come to incredibly reluctantly, which I think surprises a lot of people because mm. um, actually in person, I'm a very, uh, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty happy talker. And uh, although I, I might have some of those initial nerves, you know, in a room full of people I don't know, uh, going up and having conversations, I can usually get over that quite quickly. And then once I'm in flow, I'm, I'm good. And equally, um, if you say, OK, oh, by the way, Alexis, this um, 250 uh, person audience, the speaker uh, is now not available. Any chance you can just step up and run a session? I'd have no issue doing that, partly because I've had a lot of experience running sessions and facilitating presenting and, and so on however you'd have thought that all of that would just cross apply to doing video and social media and so on mm. and it hasn't it didn't for me at all it has since but particularly early on like the fear of looking down uh, a camera lens and that that odd feeling and hitting record and so on and terror was just well, it stopped me in my tracks. And so it's funny when you say, you know, when did I realize it? I realized it ages and ages and ages ago and did nothing, or at least tried a couple of things and never managed to get any traction and momentum and never made it something I did on a regular basis. And it's really funny that now people uh, like yourself and people that know me and so on, like, like know, have known me for longer and, uh, and my team and so on. They say, oh, yeah, no, you're natural at it and you've been doing it a long time now and so on. And it's actually not that long. Like in the scheme of how long I've known that I should be doing it, it's like 5% of that time. And so, uh, but what's struck me is particularly with things like daily videos, you know, I heard a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you should be doing these videos daily. And I always held back from that because that felt like such a time sink and how would I come up with content and so on. And the answer is practice. Like the more you do it, the more it just comes and you take customer questions and you go, oh, I can I could do a piece of content on that. Um, or you have a conversation with a client and you go, oh, that was an interesting little gem. I'll, I'll and now share that. Um, and the more you do it, the easier it becomes. But the amazing thing is that when you do something like daily content, when someone's scrolling through your social feed, they don't scroll for long before they, if you like, give up, which means that, they're probably only going to go back two, three, four weeks, which means that if you've been done doing it four weeks from the audience perspective, it's forever. And so that's the amazing thing. I remember one of my team um, as part of one of our exec teams, we do a, a team health exercise on a, 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 a quarterly basis where we say, you know, um, about the rest of the team, share one thing that you most admire and one thing that you'd like them to start or continue doing for the good of the company. And one of my exec team said, oh, one thing I admire about you, Alexis, is how you, you know, you just go and do things and uh, and then you get good at them. Like, you know, you've been doing video for about like uh, whatever it was. I think he said like five or six months. <laughs> and, and at the end of the session, I was like, by the way, I really, really appreciate that. But I'll tell you now, you're going to be surprised. It was six weeks. It's like I've been doing it only six weeks at that point. And for him, it felt like five or six months. And so 
I think that's the amazing thing is I think when we look at others who are doing this, we look at them, we put them on the pedestal. But the truth is that, you know, they're only two pages ahead. They're only they're only a few weeks ahead. And so if you do want to get your message out there and create visibility and get the opportunity to speak to amazing people like Phil and uh, other wonderful people like Mandy and <laughs> many others, you kind of just need to start doing it and the more you practice and the, and the more you think about how could I improve that, you just get good. And it's amazing how quickly um, that transformation takes place. But it, I've certainly not found it easy. Like I've tried to get started on doing this sort of thing so many times in the past. I'm talking many years. And yet it's only really within the last year that, that I've, I've really taken to it and forced myself to do it long enough that I now find it a lot easier. <laughs> I, I might have to take that as a clip because if that's not inspiring to people, I don't know. Because I, I straight away, I'm one of those people that would have assumed and perceived that you've been doing this a long time. Because you're a, obviously you're a good communicator and you're a relaxed communicator, you know your stuff as well. But what I always say to people, people will say things like, everybody's doing it. And I say, well, actually, that's not true, especially live stream, because mm. live stream is a whole new level of a replacement for laxatives, isn't it? Because the minute <laughs> that you hit that record button like we are now, there's nowhere to hide. There's no edit going on. Uh, this is what you what you see is what you get. But what I find interesting about it is that uh, very, very few people are actually doing live stream. And if you accept the fact that any kind of differentiation you can create for your personal brand or your business is going to be an advantage, especially in an age where it can be quite difficult to identify what we used to call unique selling points in your business. You know, if you're an accountant's practice, there are, might be ways you can tweak it. I'm using that as an example of legal practice. There's a lot of them. And therefore, you've got to find different ways to stand out from the crowd. And it's still an amazing way to stand out from the crowd because the vast majority of people don't, aren't over, able to overcome the little voice that keeps telling you don't do it. There's always something else to do, isn't there, when it comes to the, oh, well, I'll do, I'll do a video, but I've just got to shuffle some papers here. And I've got to call this client, and it's really important. Oh, and I've got to just, um, I've just got to wipe my desk because it's been a good, got to clean. There's always a million reasons why not to do it. But I, I think that that classic um, book by Susan Jeffers that I mentioned on here quite a bit, feel the fear and do it anyway. It sounds as your living proof of somebody that felt the fear, did it anyway, and then started to master it. And as a result now, and, and I guess, is it fair to say you enjoy it now? Uh, yes. I mean, certainly this format. Yes. Um, yeah. Speaking on my own directly to a camera lens. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I've quite got to the point of enjoying that in, in and of itself. I think I, um, I enjoy, I, I guess the same as actually when I go on a, a stage to present, I try not to think about me. I try not to think about what's the audience thinking about me or how am I going to be perceived? I think about the value I'm going to add to them. And so I think that's the bit I enjoy is I think about either a, a particular individual customer or a few or just more generally um, business owners or business leaders or whatever. And I think that about this particular problem I'm going to help them solve. So, you know, I remember there was 
uh, one of my entrepreneur friends, they were having some issues around performance management. How do you go through that performance management process? How do you make sure that you're doing a good job of that? And so that came easy. I was able to jump on, do a recording and, and do a live and just talk about how do we do it? Why do we do it that way? Show them the process in air manual of here's the steps and then go, oh, and by the way, I've created this as a template for you that you can copy into your workspace. And then literally I finished the recording, put it on all the social media and then sent her a, a message to, uh, oh, thank you very much. Uh, you see, there's a great <laughs> example of live stream. Thanks, Sarah. Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> That's absolutely <laughs> what, yeah. Um, yeah and, one of the benefits it, of working from home, of course. Yeah, it, um, yeah, one of the benefits of having your lovely <laughs> wife or partner come and give you a brew. There you go. There you go. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, <laughs> we both work from home now, which is really nice. But, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, uh, you know, being able to post those things on social media and then literally, like, WhatsApp this entrepreneur and go, by the way, thanks very much for your question about this. Here's my answer. And it served as great social media content for me. <laughs> and, and that I enjoy because yeah. I know that I wouldn't do a 20-minute video for someone's you know, one question on, oh, you know, anyone got any tips on performance management? Like, uh, how would I, I'd never be able to to spend that kind of time on one person's little question, like li little question, if it weren't for the fact that I was utilizing in that way. And so I think for a lot of business leaders, I think that's one of the most powerful ways that they can do it is use those questions that normally you're going to have to time box into a five minute email and instead do a a live video or a good video, whatever it is that, that you feel able to do, get it out there and then share it with that individual. And that also helps you kind of focus the content. But um, the other the other thing that I love about live, by the way, is that because it, it's um, it swings and roundabouts. On the one side, you have less editability and therefore you can't make it better. And therefore, if you if you mess up, if you accidentally swear or go off on a tangent or have lots of gaps in what you say you can't fix that but on the flip side it means that the audience's expectation of the editing and so on reduces so whereas if you record it and edit it now the expectation goes up therefore if you leave bits in that aren't great quality or don't particularly relate to that person that audience they're thinking oh you know why wasn't that edited out so it kind of cuts both ways and so i, I like live content because you don't have to do all of that other stuff around the edges. It does force you to just be in the moment and focus on the audience. And uh, the other really nice thing about doing like particularly live daily kind of posts on Facebook and LinkedIn, whatever it is, is that it is pretty short lived. So I remember doing a, a live video um, where, you know, I, I was doing Facebook live and, uh, I, and I, was, I was really new to it and I clicked go live. And it says like loading, loading or starting, dot, 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 starting, dot, dot, dot. And then it goes three, two, one, and I'm in. Now, the problem was that I decided the, the way I was going to do this video, so it was, I was going to say like, here's one way in which, you, you know, one key way in which you can do this thing. And so I click go live. And so I'm ready like this. And I'm checking the timer. And it's counting down. It's going starting, starting, three, two, one. I go this one way to da, 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 da. Now, of course, it was recording from as soon as I clicked go live. So you've got like 10 seconds of me doing <laughs> this, right? And uh, I went to go uh, pick up the kids. And as I was walking out, a friend of mine had seen the video and literally he's 20 yards off and he's already doing this, right? As he walks towards me. <laughs> now I know that he's doing that yeah. from a place of love and appreciation. The fact that you even watched the video or anything, like 
he could have just ignored it and so on. He didn't, and he watched it, and he's watched many of my videos and has given feedback, positive and constructive feedback since. But I know that he does it from a place of love and appreciation and support. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, that that doesn't stop me from feeling all that horrible fear and and whatever when doing it. But I remember there was a moment where I was like, I could just delete that video, and I thought, no. The whole point of facing the fear is I do these screw ups, and then I just move on and I carry on. And you know, the thing is that I bet you know maybe maybe ten to twenty people saw that video the very first time I did it. It's so way down in my channel now. It would take a long time for someone to find it. They they wouldn't see it. So and and my subsequent videos, I I know when it's going to start, which is basically when you click go live. So 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 I've kind of been able to improve on that. And so that's one of the things I do like about like daily lives is it is it is short lived, but that means that you can iterate and get better quickly. And yeah, and overcome that fear in a way that if you're doing recordings, it's um, it's harder to, and your temptation to edit and filter. You know, I've done videos where I record it, watch it back, and go delete. And it's such a shame because, of course, there's val there is value there. I've spent five, ten minutes of my life focusing on a particular thing, but maybe because the angle wasn't quite right, there was a couple of things, a couple of things that I didn't say quite right. I'm like, oh, no, it's not good enough. Delete. And that that. Uh, that is a is a big blocker. So hence live can work really well for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And have you have you actually um, decided now to go on to TikTok? Are you dancing on TikTok yet? I'm not dancing or otherwise on TikTok <laughs> yet. At some point, I will be sharing um, clips of long form content that I've done. As you'll have gathered from this session, I'm not a particularly punchy speaker. And therefore, I don't I haven't felt an affinity to TikTok as a as a medium for me. However, my team and audience have uh, highlighted to me that in when I talk about a topic, there's a lot of value in there. But actually, there's little 30 second, one minute bits that on their own work. And so I think that's the approach that we're going to take is we'll take those out. They get edited, they get turned to a video and then that will go on TikTok. So no, I, I I'm not currently expecting to ever do anything native direct into it, and certainly not dancing. Although I do enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's right. I mean, I you know I I do very little. I dabble in TikTok now and again, but the same as you, just doing short clips and such like twerking um, or flossing. Say again, sorry. <laughs> twerking or flossing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, I'm a 50-odd-year-old man. I mean, I, you know, it's not my place. It's not – it's like dad, it's like dad dancing. And, and my kids see that see stuff I, on there as well. I, I tell you um, what, that, how amazing that would be. Like doing some proper da dad dancing on TikTok would do two things. One, would a brilliant way of overcoming your fears. <laughs> and two, I bet it would get a lot of uh, followers and traction. <laughs> it would. I mean, one of the one of the benefits, I suppose, of uh, talking about business, which can be, in relative terms, be quite dull in some shit in in some cases, um, of course, is that uh, relatively the the chances of trolls is quite low. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get into many controversial <laughs> topics. I suppose you could if you wanted to, and you wanted to try, you probably could. Yeah. But I think um, I think that the uh, the trolling side is probably relatively limited because of the relatively serious nature of the content, I guess. Yeah, I think I think it does it does help that we're in that space. But it's interesting because there are 
um, there are people I can think of who are more um, controversial and as a result get trolls or and, and get the haters and so on. And I, I have a particular one in mind who has a mix of content. Sometimes I see it and it's controversial and they go, yeah, okay, that's a that's an interesting area to really push. And then sometimes you kind of look through it and you just go, you're just doing this for the controversy and, and for the likes and the follows and the shares and the anger and whatever. And that, I don't like that. Um, but I can see the impact, like it creates the followers and it, it, it can create that. So it's a really hard area and, and does result in the haters and the posters and, and so on. Because even sometimes I'll look at it and I'll go, like, I, I don't like that you've said that. And that does seem mean or um, inaccurate or uh, overly obtuse or whatever. Um, but I would always hold back from being on and going, ah, anger, let me put this through the keyboard. Um but yeah, so it's a it's a tricky area because I think for business leaders and, and, and people that are encouraged to come and do this kind of stuff, the temptation or, the, or what you might hear is you come on, you know, if you really want to get an audience, you need to be controversial. And I, I really don't like controversy for for the sake of it. I think that it's yeah. I think it's good to share a view that is different if you feel like it adds value, if you genuinely feel like, like for for us. One of the things that we're really passionate about is when you're onboarding employees, you should make it self-driven. You should use checklists and so on. And that for a lot of companies, they would say, no, we want to do training and coaching and whatever. And we have some big reasons why we think that's the wrong answer. So we're giving a different view to what the status quo is. Equally, the same for employees. You know, you've got people out there say, oh, I don't really want to give them lots of holiday and and, and lots of money and all these sorts of things. Why, why should I have to do that? They want the job. And we would hold the view of, no, it's the opposite way around. You want to attract the best talent and therefore you've got to do a good job of that. And so I think I prefer going big on those messages rather than going for the uh, the controversy. Yeah, and I guess it depends on the brand, doesn't it? You know, if, you, if you've got a brand that's arguably fun and edgy, True. you know, then you can probably get away with more than if you're, as I said earlier, maybe if you're an accountancy practice or a legal firm or a consultant business yeah. consultancy you know yeah personal brand and everything is is and it is it's dangerous because we live in such a sensationalist mm. world you know and you look at the media and the media are pushing that sensationalism edge yeah, ever 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 well. yeah. yeah absolutely um and you know without going on about it but it, it worries me about humanity without getting all overly overly um analytical about it it worries me about you humanity because it's our fault we blame the media for sensationalizing mm. and everything but all the data will show for them that the more edgy they are the more more yeah. dodgy it is the more controversial it is the more people switch on stay on listen continue listening so it's our own fault we create the situation but then is it our fault because it's just humans being humans and yes, maybe human even yeah. maybe even links back to the days of the roman empire when you when you were watching the gladiators fight you know yeah. oh good fight you know um so you, you it's very complicated and it's such a uh, a rich tapestry, really, of feeling and cultural norms and what's acceptable and what isn't, and it's a, it's very difficult. To, it's very difficult sometimes to actually identify where the where the edges are. I guess. Yeah, I, th I think it's a really good point, and I think with the um, the human psychology, 
uh, aspect because I think you say it's our fault, but it's not because it, it, it really is just tapping into human psychology. And I was thinking, how have we addressed that in other areas? So there's another um, uh, aspect of human psychology that's covered really well uh, by the um, uh, by Robert Ciald uh, Cialdini in um, uh, Influence in his, his book on influence. And one yeah. of the influences is like um, uh, scarcity. So the concept of saying, oh, there's not many of these things, therefore it creates more value and therefore uh, people are more likely to show interest in it. And yeah. of course, as a result, marketers, business people, etc., have jumped on that um, uh, that aspect of our psychology. And they'll say things like, oh, you know, there's only five left of these and only three left of these. Or uh, you've got to buy this car by the end of the week, otherwise it will be gone. And yeah. so how do we overcome that? And I think ultimately we have to kind of break our program. We have to see those practices and go, huh, yeah, yeah, whatever. And I think when we do that, that's when we, we, we break from that. And in fact, to the opposite, like when we, I, I think um, like sales is a brilliant area because we've seen it. We've seen certain sales practices turn us off. So we're now in a situation where like, you know, what's known as the used cars, car salesman <laughs> kind of sales tactics that used to work really effectively. That's why they were used. And now a turn off to the point that if you had those tactics used on you, if you went to a car garage, you might turn on your heels and go across the road. And I, I think that needs to happen. I think the more that we can kind of break our programming, when we when we see a TV program or an article or whatever that is purposefully using sensationalist uh, headlines or is showing a polarization of opinions where actually it's more of a spectrum or whatever it is we can break our programming by go huh no if you're going to do that I'm actually going to actively avoid like looking at that that article or that news segment or whatever in that way and either avoiding it entirely like for example around um, things like coronavirus there's so many people all out there on twitter and so on with their with their views I think generally I, I, I'm open-minded to it or I try to be as open-minded as I can to it. So as a result, if I see someone too far on either end of the argument, I see that as a turnoff because I, I want balanced views. I want people who actually think about it and are willing to be wrong and swayed. And I think, um, you know, it's a classic thing that we see in the media as well, like the, the hating of a U-turn, the fact that a scientist or a politician or whatever might have a view and then change it. And that somehow is bad. I see the opposite. <laughs> like if, if, if based on new information, you change your mind, whether it's how to deal with coronavirus or Brexit or, you know, uh, uh, global politics and, and dealing with, um, with uh, you know, global uh, wars and so on, like changing your view based on an understanding of the facts and how things have changed, I think is a, something to be applauded the same way that my wife really appreciates it when I admit I'm wrong. So uh, it's I, I think if you're you know, I think that's what we need to do as consumers <laughs> of that media is is yeah. to look at that and and shun when we see that we're we're being manipulated by the the edges of that argument and seek out more more balanced thinkers and experts and, and so on. Because I think, you know, there was a time, was it Michael Gove in the UK saying uh, back at but pre Brexit, saying that oh, you know, the, the country's fed up of experts. And, and, and that's, you know, from a guy with a heavy media background, right? And so I, I think over the last few years, I'm hoping that the switch is going the other way. I'm hoping that people are going, no, wait, it's exactly what we needed was the, the experts and the expertise. The value is on turning that expertise in something that's easier to understand and, and use um, and being willing to, to understand that wider argument rather than kind of being lazy and saying, oh, I'll just take the soundbite. So hopefully that's happening. Um, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's great. I 
brilliant insight. Okay, I'm going to finish off by asking you a question. Like all these questions I've asked you today, none have been rehearsed. We're just going to jump on and start, and there we go, live streaming and everything. Then your wife comes in, gives you a cup of tea. I don't get any cups of tea, you know, the usual thing. So, uh, yeah, just stop showing off. Uh, stop showing off to your friends. That's what, uh, that's, what I really, that's what I used to get at school. Um, I'm going to ask you to just jump into the shoes of Nostradamus for a second. And um, okay. in terms of the future, no. it's not garlic bread. I think we've worked that one out now. But the future in terms of your area, particularly in the software arena, mm-hmm. um, do you have a view? And you might say you don't, but do you have a view about where you think it might go? If we're having this chat 10 years from now, and I suppose the the... the um, the element of technology that springs to mind logically in my head is AI. Mm, Do you yeah. think that it's more and more likely that the software arena you're in and the, and the way in which it works and the, and the solutions it creates, do you think AI might have a contribution to make? And if so, how might that work? De- definitely. So I expect that AI is going to have huge uh, impacts on a variety of industries. I think that like any technology, we're going to go through the hype cycle. So people are going to get very excited about it in particular areas. And then we'll see people go, oh, actually, it doesn't work that well. And it'll kind of drop off. And then it will come back in areas where it actually adds value and does amazing things. So, for example, right now, you can go Googling and go find free open source uh, a, um, uh, AI platforms that do a variety of things, including um, this one that I've got access to where you can literally type in a series of keywords and the AI will paint a picture, a completely unique picture um, based on the inputs that's received uh, and do a good job, like hyper, like can do almost photorealistic uh, incredible like steampunk stuff or magical kingdoms and whatever stuff that previously would have required an artist days of time to create can now be created in seconds by by AI and even if it's not perfect and an artist now needs to improve it like you've saved days or even weeks of of work to get to that point we've got there's AI again freely available where you can type in the start of a blog article and it will create the next few paragraphs based on information that's out there to create something there. So again, even if you don't just go, that's the article, using that as a starting point can make something that would have taken hours take minutes to do. And so I see those sorts of applications are going to increase and become used and embedded in some of the software and so on that we use every day to speed up the outcome of what we're looking for. However, the where it doesn't, uh, where I don't expect it to land is that perfection and insight and analysis. There will always be the opportunity for a human to add value on top of that. And so I think that's where the spaces in the industry is either you're doing the thinking to work out how to apply the AI in a more and more effective way to better solve the problem, the pain point. How do you how do you really uh, achieve the outcome? And then the other side of that is how do you provide the human aspect to that? For example, if you're an accountant, you might think, well, AI at some point will be able to look at a customer's data in their accounts over a period and do any amount of analytics that I could do. 
like to to tell them the trends and what's happening with their revenue and their profits and how that varies by product and and even reconciling it automatically and doing all of those things that as a bookkeeper might be most of your job will in future just be automated and so on. The value is then in the interpretation, the ability to say, based on this, this is what the most likely outcome, uh, you know, because uh, even the AI might tell you, oh, this is where I think the train's going to go. But being able to understand the story and be able to then make recommendations and think about how does it apply to people and all these sorts of things, I think that's where there will always be that opportunity for that that human insight to be to be adding value and so i think for any business like if you want to future proof yourself avoid being too much too fixed on the solution of that the doing of of what you do instead if you focus on the outcome then it opens up your mind to utilize those things that are available to do a better job of of how you're supporting the the client yeah it's fascinating and i i, I totally agree with you and I, and I think that the challenges that are coming in terms of society through all these changes and developments um, i think they're going to put the covid situation into uh, into complete con you know into into a um nowhere near as bad as it was as it were yeah. well, um, i think we're already seeing a lot of that <laughs> yeah right. we we absolutely are and uh, yeah and the unions are going to have a shock of the lives that's for sure. <laughs> Because, yeah, because anyway, right. So I could talk about that for another hour and a half, but we'll call it a day, Alexis. We're well over the hour now. Um, absolutely wonderful to have you on the show. And thanks ever so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, covered some interesting things, interesting topics there. How do people find out more about you and how do people find out more about the um, about the products you're doing? Oh, thank you for your work. First of all, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed it. And I hope people have got a lot of value from it. Um, in terms of finding out more about me and, and hearing and connecting and so on, uh, generally, I'm pretty easy to find on social media. My name is Alexis Kingsbury. And uh, I highly recommend connecting with me on LinkedIn and follow me and sending me messages with your questions and so on. Uh, you're also welcome to email me, alexis.kingsbury at airmanual.co. In terms of finding out about some of the products and services we offer, so for Spider Gap, uh, which is the 360 feedback tool, that's spidergap.com. And at airmanual.co, that's airmanual.co, uh, you can find uh, loads of information about Airmanual, including some free resources like uh, webinars and eBooks and so on that we've done on how to uh, on how to set up your onboarding in a way that actually works and on other uh, topics such as how to get more time uh, uh, on your business rather than in it and how to be able to delegate more effectively and reduce mistakes and so on. So uh, do connect with us on there and uh, follow us on social media and so on. Always keen to help people more and, and add more value and help them get those results. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much, Alexis. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I'm now going to make my own brew. <laughs> Enjoy. And thank you so much, Phil. It's been, I uh, have absolutely loved it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, everybody. That's another end end to another live stream. I think there's so much value in there, so much takeaways from that. And uh, I'll see you on the next show probably quite soon, actually. So uh, catch you again. Bye for now. Thanks, Alexis. Bye. <laughs>